Dookie. Yes, Irene. I've had me first request, haven't I? What kind of request? I've had a request to sing a song now, haven't I? Oh, a musical request. A musical request by that lovely, lovely man who we was talking about last week that, you know, that yeah, I've got a, what you young people call a corridor ticket for. Hall pass and oh, Billy Ritchie, today's yeah. guest and the, the guest on last Yeah, I'm going to be his show. cougar cougar and he's put in a request for me to sing one of his lovely, lovely songs because he invented that lovely frog rock, didn't he? Um, no, he's neither French nor did he invent French rock, but he did invent prog. Prog? What kind of word is that? That's not a word. You should really listen that to these shows. That is a word. Shows. Now, frog's a word. It's frog rock now, isn't it? Anyway, what song is he going to have you he's do? He's got the song that's called something that I ain't gonna remember right now because, you know, sometimes my memory ain't all it could be. How are you going to remember all the lyrics? Oh, I've got ways of remembering and when I'm singing them, I picture the lovely Billy Ritchie and how lovely he is and what a natty dresser he is. He certainly is. Very stylish man. Oh, he's so lovely. Roy's starting to get a bit jealous though, isn't he? Uh, why? But he gave you a hall pass. It should all be good. Yes, I know, but because I keep going on and on about how lovely he is and listening to his lovely frog rock. Frog. That, that Roy is just, he said that, you know, he's just been going to the pub a little bit more than he usually does. So his jealousy is driving him to drink? Well, he's always in the pub anyway, so it doesn't really matter, does it? So and just... he's got a corridor ticket for that young Hall one. Pass. An all pass for that young one, you know, that young one, the Glory Honeypot, isn't it? Hunniford. That does them shows, doesn't yes. she? She does them shows in the mornings when everyone's angry and things like that, doesn't she? <laughs> yes, she's a... A purveyor of bad television for the unemployed. Yeah, you know, when it or retired. She does that, you know, she's always angry at something for some someone. But anyway, so he's got a corridor pass for the all glory pass. the all pass for the glory honey pot. But he's still getting a little bit you know. I'm sorry to hear that. It sounded jealous. very open in every sense and that you guys were okay about it. Yes, we're okay, but it's only because I've been doing nothing but sing his lovely frog rock songs the whole last week. And now I'm going to sing another one that he's especially requested me to sing called M- Melod- M- Melodies. Oh, he's asked you to do I Am The Melody. I Am The Melody, that's right. Go for it. Here we go. I am the melody that you hear in your head. I am the song you sing at night when you lie in your bed. Oh, when your day begins with the disco sand, I have a key to spin your mind like a merry-go-round. Believe me, every night you lie awake thinking aloud. Dookie, Dookie, 
the Dookie Radio Show. Hello, 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 hello. It's an absolute honour to welcome into the Dookie Radio Show studio, Billy Ritchie, the man who invented prog. And he really did. I first heard about our guests' innovative music endeavours with the band 123 and later Clouds through recent guest Bruce Thomas's book, Rough Notes. And in a recent prog-themed special on this very show, guest Dave Dawson and myself waxed lyrical about Billy Ritchie's influence on the likes of Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. In this final instalment of our three-part interview with Billy, we get a little dark. Billy, we're going to begin this final instalment of our interview by starting with the end. Where was the last gig for Clouds? I think it was uh, Stoke-on-Trent which was a favourite hunting ground of ours. I mean, we were really popular there. Mm. We, you know, best reception we ever got was one night at Stoke-on-Trent. And all the gigs we ever did, the greatest gig we ever did, were playing with two other bands, uh, Wishbone Ash and Blonde on Blonde. Right. They, they, they were fairly... All three of us were kind of on a par with each other, fame-wise, at that time. I mean, I know Wishbone Ash... I know Blonde on Blonde is a Bob Dylan album title, but I don't know the, the Oh, band. there was a band. They're, they're right. still kind of known today. Um, but they say they were just about the same level as us. And um, we were in the middle of the bill. We went on second. And I think Wishbone Ash went on first and we went on second. And they, it took her like about 20 minutes before Blonde on Blonde could get on the stage because they were just shouting. We were down in the dressing room. They're all shouting and cheering more. That was about the best gig we ever did. So we're really popular there. So I I didn't tell the other guys, but I'd made up my mind that that was going to be my last show. I thought, I can't do this anymore. So what I did was uh, in the middle of the show, I, I deviated from the script and I played a whole thing on my own with the organ. The guys were just wondering what the hell was going on, you know? And I, I kicked all the gear off the stage all my gear off the stage. I jumped on the piano and rode it off the stage, smashed on the floor. People's all scrambling to get out of the way. And I just walked straight out the door and left everything. I went home and mourned. Right. I never never came back. And I never said that the band was breaking up. I just said, that's it. That's why I the thing about disappearing, you know. I just thought, if I don't do it this way, it will just drag on and on and on. I have to, I have to find a life. I can't live like this anymore. I can't kind of live with that broken promises. And mm. I thought, no, let it go. You still love the live music, though, or was that even starting to? No, I didn't. I just wanted to forget music. I didn't want anything. Oh, to really? Do with so it. it wasn't necessarily just the business. It was actually all of it. All of it. Your, your enthusiasm business, for playing. Well, it. the business business was what soured it really. Yeah. But um, we were talking earlier about listening to things. Well, I never owned the record player, ever. It was a funny thing. I mean, when David Palmer, who 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 became part of Jethro Tull eventually, David, he was the guy who did all the strings. He's now called D Palmer. He changed his sex, didn't he? Yes, that's right. right uh, quite late in life, and he's... he was he was a great mm. musician. He was really a, the genuine article as a musician and an arranger, and he did all the strings on on our album, the Scrapbook. And um, what even watercolor days? Uh, anyway, when he was going to do the strings for watercolor days, uh, on the first album we played live with the orchestra, which was a great experience. Goodness, yeah, it was all live. The only trouble was we could like on a song called Waiter, which is a very complicated song. We could only do two takes because of the cost, you know. 
Could it be a fly or something else? I really don't want to know. I suppose I'll have to leave it where it is. Not unless you'd care to bring me a new bow. Your father never will They don't know 
orchestra. I was standing in the centre of the orchestra playing the organ. They said to us, David said to us before, he said, I'd like to do this song with my own organist and drummer and bass player to get the continuity because we don't have much time. And we went, no way. You know, we... He probably was right because it would have made a more, more coherent piece, but we couldn't face not playing on our own record, you know? Certainly not, no. So we, but listening to it now, it probably could have been more coherent, but we only had two takes. Anyway, David came over to my place too. He says, he brought, he says I brought an acetate because I want to run through the parts of Watercolour Days and discuss the strings. I said, well, there's only one slight problem. I don't have a record player. He went, What? You're a musician, you don't have a record player? I, said, I don't know. I don't, I don't listen to any stuff. <laughs> so at home, even as a, a full-time musician, a touring musician, yeah. you, you still didn't I didn't. I was, partake in... I was only ever interested in my songs. Focus. Yeah. You were focused. I don't know what it was. It was just, I just, it was <laughs> other stuff, people's stuff. I thought, well, whatever they do is not, not as good as what I do anyway. It's kind of like that. I suppose it, your attitude towards it is from another era. I mean, ultimately, people used to entertain themselves by buying sheet music and playing music at home, and you had more of an affinity with what you were writing. My, I suppose my real interest was, I was always interested from the point of view, if I heard a song... Um, from the past, I always liked Cole Porter or any of those people. When I when I became interested in songwriting, then I started to listen to other songwriters. It wasn't so much the musicianship; it was the songwriting. So I was an aficionado of uh, of real good songwriters. I always kind of respond. Oh, that's good. I played that trick there and did this. You know. That song like, you know, olden days a glimpse of stocking was thought of for something shock. You know, the the syncopation of it. I thought, oh, that's really clever, you know. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was the thought of something shocking, but now God knows anything goes. So I always admired other songwriters, especially as I started to think of myself as a songwriter. Mm, inverted commas. 1971, your keyboards and pieces in Left Stoke Behind Trent. Forever. Left Behind Forever, various bits and bobs being taken by North Midlanders. What happened? I mean, I'd imagine you probably were feeling quite depressed. When did you hear from the rest of the gang? We, we lost touch for years. I mean, I, I it wasn't, I mean, they were, we were great. But even the friendship had started to kind of fragment, as it does when the strains and, hmm. you know, but still think of them as brothers. You do when you're on the road, don't you? Yeah, your absolutely. Brothers, you would know that stuff. Yeah. You, you're, you're kind of like brothers in arms, as the Dire Straits thing says. Um, even now, we, we're still in touch a bit, but we're not kind of... We hear from each other now and again. I mean, when I knew about this Trailblazers thing, I tried to contact Ian and Harry, but Ian's in Sweden. I got an email from him. I still haven't heard back from Harry even now. That's just how being a drummer again. Indeed, it's, he's still out there playing. Drums. No, he doesn't play either. He does. He's, he went. He after we broke up, he um, the Marquee Club sponsored a band for him called uh, Mahatma Mahatma Kane Jeeves. Originally, you know, he had his guitarist was a guy called Alan Murphy who ended up in level forty two. Oh goodness, who unfortunately kind of passed away. I think yeah, he was from only thirty six. Yeah. A brilliant guitar player. Harry was at his funeral. Yeah, right, and a very nice 
nice yeah. man as well, really talented um, yeah. player. Yeah, well, I met him when I was a young man, but um, uh, Harry Harry did all that for a while, and that didn't particularly work out. I mean, one of the bands that supported them at the marquee was a band called Queen. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And uh, But they didn't quite catch on. They didn't do anything, and... Uh, uh, after that, he went and took a. He started off as a cleaner at a factory, and he ended up being um, a, quite like a director or something, and took a degree and and he became an occupational hygienist. Right. And, and he and he still think does consultancy on that basis now. He lives up near Cambridge now. Um, so he's mainly. I think he, he said he's got a kit again, and he's in his garage playing and stuff. I don't think he does any gigs. A shame because Harry was really one of the real great drummers. I mean, he actually gave Bill Bruford from Yes gave him lessons and Carl Palmer. And what Harry did one really? of the first one of the first uh, rock drum books, UK rock drumming. Harry did that for Premier Drums sponsored that. They did a book and a vinyl thing that goes along with it and Bill and both Bill and Carol uh, you know gave contributions to that book and Harry was revered among the drummers I mean technically and the Billboard magazine said uh, well you'll see the quote now it said that's surely the most technically brilliant drummer of the early rock era it's uh, an absolute crime waste, that uh, yeah. he did not persevere with that particularly in an era where I mean 1971 in terms of the mm. the history of, of prog is it's still early days yeah but then well, you guys were battle scarred and I, I was fed up but Ian was the only one of us who was genuinely a tour kind of person perhaps like you are too Ian, Ian still to this day loves the tours and and he's he played with a lot of people. He played with Steve Hackett for a while, you know, the Genesis. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, he was in Steve Hackett's right. band. He said to me one night, he said, did you see me on Cue the Music last night? I said, oh, I didn't know it was you. I switched it off. I use, Generally, if music comes on, I switch it off, you know. And I didn't know it was Ian. <laughs> he was actually on telly and I missed him. He said, I was on Cue the Music last night with that, that timeline Steve Hackett. Right. And uh, Ian was on that album. And he played with Savoy Brown. Well, everybody played with Savoy Brown. That's true. It's kind of one of those bands where... <laughs> a thousand. Uh... Kim Simmons was the only one that was kind of constant. The rest were all hundreds of different people. And Ian played with lots of people. He played with Pete Townsend. Oh, what era? Obviously, uh, when he had the deep, deep, deep something, the kind of band. He had a band with uh, uh, Gilmore, Dave Gilmore. Yes. From Pink It was Gilmore, called Deep yeah. something or other. Deep. Right, oh. And Ian was in that band. And uh, Pete Townsend in his recent biography, his, his autobiography, it's called Who I Am or Who I Am. Oh, I? yes. Must See Clouds. Yeah, it's Must See One, Two, Three. So I wanted to, sorry. Must See One, Two, Three. Oh, no, no, Keep it's all right. Keep mixing those up. Right. But in, in the way, it is the same band. It's just a different it, name. It's the same guys. But as I say, if, what, I, what I'm sort of proud of now is that, and it's a shame I'm frustrated by it too, is if, if the radio come on now and you heard a One, Two, Three song, people would still go, what the hell is that? Despite Prague taking what it took from it, one, two, three would still sound unique now. It was it was a different sounding band to Clouds. I mean, I'm proud of what Clouds did. We we were pretty good, as you'll see from that video. I th first time I've really thought that again was when I saw the the video. I thought, bloody hell, that's that's good. That is pretty. We were pretty good. But you judge for yourself when you see it. I'm I mean, sure I'm going well, to you've, like you've it. Well, you've seen the you've seen the one on YouTube now. The the big noise from an echo one. Have yes. you seen that? Well, that doesn't feature the organ much, but um, this one does, you know. This is more like the genuine band. That was kind of a, 
I think, for the audience, wasn't it? It's yeah. very clever what they did, but I always thought of it as you know, gimmicky, you know. I'm looking forward to seeing this this other footage. Yeah, it's not. It's not, again. You. It's like I saw it. And I'm really pleased with it. And I thought, well, actually, we did much more complicated songs than that. This is not as at our our most complicated. It's just a, what I would say a a kind of average cloud song. But the song's pretty good. But the 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 performance of it doesn't require untold whatever. You know, we did far more complicated songs than that. But it's pretty good performance for a live TV show. They said to us, I'm quite pleased with this one, they said to us uh, in their their German English, they said, would you like to mime your song or play live? We went, we don't do mime. And Jethro Tull mimed their song. Ah, Ian, Mr. Control Anderson. Yes, (laughs) they they mimed the song. We played live as we were always, we went, no way, you know. We do it. What happened after seventy one? Uh, how long did it take for you to re- recover? Oh, I just went and uh, I'd got several jobs. I mean, before I was involved in the band, I mean, it took me ages to come. I wasn't going to come to London when they wanted to go to London. I was going, no, I've got, I don't want to do all that stuff. And uh, they thought that's the only way this band's going to do anything. You know, we've got something good here, and it's not going to be appreciated in Scotland. I said, but. Like I'm a personnel officer, you know, I was young to be a personnel officer. Human resources, they call it now. They're right. HR. But, oh, yes. <laughs> Politically correct. But um, <laughs> but I had a very good job for, for my age and everything, and I, I was reluctant to leave it. But eventually they, they, showing my true character, don't have much resilience. So when I ran into a problem with my job, they, they didn't give me a job. I thought a promotion I should have had so that I went, oh, we'll stick it then and came to London. And um, I suppose that was always one of my regrets afterwards. I thought I should have stuck with the job. And so when the band finished, I thought it's so difficult to connect and sit in an office or something. So I went and got things like a driving job. Then I got a job as a rep. And then I suddenly made quite a lot of money and I I got um, I started in property and I ended up with about 10 properties. I used to own a house here, a flat here in, um, just up in Wapping, up in the, uh, what was it? Uh, if it's uh, if it's a flat I used to live in. This it's the one right next next door to where uh, News International was. Oh, Pennington right. Street. Oh, right. Yes, I, had, I, I uh, know it well. It's just down the road from where the... I used to have the flat Telford Place, I think it's called. Telford Place. Ah, yes, I used to I have, had the, I know exactly I had the where pen, that is. I had the penthouse suite there. I bought that. Oh my word! It cost me two hundred fifty thousand back then, which was it must be millions now. Wouldn't surprise me if that is about two million now. Well, I got it cheap at that time because the strike was on at that time, and, and nobody wanted to buy it, so yeah. I got it for two hundred fifty thousand. Yes, it was the, the the pickets were all out. Mm. It was right there. Where, that's where the building is. That was one of the properties. I had about ten properties at one time, but then two divorces later. <laughs> That was another leftover from the band, you know. Relationships are very hard, aren't they? For any musician. Absolutely, yeah. Because uh, you're 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 not you're not doing a nine to five, you're working at weekends, you're artistic temperaments. When and then when um it, eventually I started doing a few gigs and things again, that's how I met Dave, you know. Um How long between yourself going I don't want to do that anymore? Did you? Did it take for you to get back to not tickling that long, the ivories? Not that long. I kept playing, but it was really 
I'd do things like somebody would ask me to come and play. And I, the thing that helped me a lot with that stuff is that because refers back to what we said earlier on about influences and liking things, not liking things, where most of the guys I knew who were very good musicians couldn't stand playing songs they didn't like or something, couldn't stand playing music they didn't, they thought it was beneath them. Well, I thought it was all beneath me, so that helped. <laughs> it's a great equaliser. <laughs> I do. Well, I just thought I didn't. I don't care what I play. People used to say to me, uh, "What would you like to play?" I would say, "What would you like to do?" The singers would say to me, "What would you like to do?" I said, "Go home." You know, I just, I just, uh, <laughs> I didn't really want to play any of it. You're the nicest, miserable person I've ever met. <laughs> I was kind of negative. I mean, it, it took me. That's what I said. It really. It really, for want of a better phrase, which is, is, it freaked me out, which isn't a great phrase. Very, very happy 60s. But when I saw the stuff in Mojo and all that, it almost frightened me. And I thought, bloody hell, I, I thought I can do without this. That's what I actually thought. I've, I've come to terms with the past. I'm trying to come to terms with the past. And all this is coming out again, you know. And it seems to keep coming back, you know. Mm. That stuff came out then and it kind of bubbled up. Ian, Ian Ellis said, we've got to tour it, sir. We've got to tour it. And I went, you must be effing joking, you know. Tour it. Three fat old guys on the stage again. No, thanks. And sometimes over the years, there's, there's been when, um, when who was it? That um, Frankie Miller. Right. Frankie Miller, and they had a big benefit for him, Billy Conley and all, and they asked us to do it. And I went, oh, can't face things like that, you know, reunions. We're not the same guys anymore, you know. That was us then. When I first saw that, that video of, that was that video of Big Noise from Netka was on a DVD of Beat Club. That's how that surfaced. Oh, I. It was on a DVD right. of of the Beat Club performances, and they happened to put that one on there. And and when I saw it, I was going, "My God, who is that guy? What's in his head? You know, that guy with the orange jumper. Who is he?" I thought it freaked me out a lot. It was the early seventies. You're still that person, though. Well, I didn't the, feel the like essence. that. I don't even now. I don't feel like that person. I feel like I don't know him. You know, I. It was a time, the thing about playing was, from that moment of the satellites, this is putting it all in a nutshell, from that moment of the satellites when I suddenly realised I was some good, I thought, I must be pretty good, you know? The first time I had that thought. Mm. And that took me on that journey. And I've always thought, well, that journey wasn't, it took me on that journey, but it wasn't necessarily a good journey. And it, was, it was that kind of journey. And so, but what it did give me, was the feeling that that was me. That was my identity. I was the guy who played the keyboard. I was the guy who wrote the songs. And of course, when all that ended, I thought, well, okay, that wasn't me. So so who am I? It was kind of that. Spent most of the 70s feeling like that, you know. And that's what I, when I see the guy with the orange jumper playing the organ and beat club, that, I felt a bit of that. I thought, I used to be that guy. Mm. I didn't really kind of know him. Are you starting to like him again? I think uh, more proud of him now. I mean, when I see the the latest video, I think, yeah, that's more like it. I wasn't happy with that one because (laughs) there's still a lot of ego in there, isn't there? Because um, I saw Ian Harry, they did a great job. Yeah, but what about me, you know? Mm. It's kind of like that. So it's in there somewhere. (laughs) Can't escape the ego. Yeah, ego, it's it's, it's there. Embrace it. But I think taking ownership of your history and having pride or at least starting to have some pride in it it is a good thing when i saw the organ playing at the end of imagine me there's a piece at the end of it where i play them all and as i said when i saw that i thought well i couldn't do that now it's too fast 
But um, I thought it's pretty damn good, you know. Is that, that boy can play. I thought so. Yeah, you can play. You are that yeah, boy. Yeah, it's like riding a bike, isn't it? You know, mm. if you can play, you can play. You'll always be able to play. But you, you to to keep that standard, you have to be playing at the sharp end. I mean, one of the guys that that played drums with me in one of the pubs, he was uh, Robbie Tate. Now Robbie was in Vinegar Joe with Robert Palmer in the Elkie Brooks. Oh, and we goodness, right? The yeah. first time I met Robbie, Robbie lived around here. Lived around here. We played together at the George, and um, Robbie. Rob, first time I met Robbie, he said, "Oh, you." He says, "You're Scottish." He said, "Do you know Harry Hughes?" And I said, "Well, I should do. I was in the band with him." <laughs> and because and I went, "Oh, you, you're Billy Ritchie, you know." And I went, "Yeah." He says, "We did the Hyde Park concert together." He says, "I was in Pete Brown's Battered Ornaments," you know, the guy that wrote the songs with, with uh, Jack Bruce for Cream. Oh, Pete Brown. God. I'd never realised he performed in his own right. I know yeah, the name Pete right. Brown. He had a band called Piblocto and also the Battered Ornaments. He did all the lyrics for yes. Cream. For Cream, yeah. For Pete Brown's Battered Ornaments. Robbie was in that as well as Vinegar Joe. He said, we, we did the Hyde Park concert together, you know, when the, with the move. It was this, the one after, I think it was the third one. It was the one after the Stones did the Hyde Park concert. And then there was one after that. I think that's where the one we were on. And and Rob, unbeknown to me, Robbie and I had shared the same stage. But and and uh, but anyway, one to go back to the story. Robbie said to me one night, he says, "What do you think's the big difference about us playing back in those days and where we are now?" I says, "Tell me, Robbie, when was the last time you played something that was hard?" And that's what the difference is. Everything you play in a pub, you can play it backwards. You don't have to make no effort. It's easy. Whereas when you're on a stage with clouds or something, you're really having to stretch every sinew. If you if you played one of some of the numbers first, you wouldn't you'd make a mess of it. You have to build it up to to get that fast and that good. And when you stop doing that, you lose your your edge. You know, you still you can still always play, but you just not got that. You've got to be limbered up at the highest level. You need all that stuff. I mean, you it's something you can call upon, but I suppose when when you're not pushing yourself, you can phone it in. You can go into autopilot very, very easily. I kind of think, I mean, this, again, is ego, but I kind of think if I had to pull it out, I could probably do it. But it would take a bit of time. I wouldn't wouldn't do it overnight. Would you consider recording with your former bandmates? If, if somebody, the big thing for me, and one of the reasons, I mean, it's quite thematic, all this, but one of the reasons that, that I had to end it and walk away from it was there has for me there always has to be an end product. I stop I taught myself to stop writing songs because songs always happened to me. I didn't sit down and consciously write them. They happened. They came through my head. I used to dream them and everything, you know. Um that's how I ended up writing literally a thousand songs. Not just a word tossed out the air. It actually was literally. I kept account of them. <laughs> I mean don't, don't get me wrong, a lot of them aren't any good, but but there was that. There was always an attempt to write more songs, but but I always had to feel it would go somewhere, not just not just be lying in my room somewhere. So I taught myself after the band. I taught myself every time something came in my head, I'd go go away. It's like that, you know. Made it go away. But I still, even to this day, I get tunes and things coming through my head. But I'd, I just ignore it, you know. I've always got to feel there is a reason. And to answer your question in a long-winded way. Um, if people were that interested and wanted to hear something, 
I could put it together. I would do that gladly as long as I knew there was an audience or I wouldn't do it just for myself. There's no it's no point then. It's like I'd rather I always feel frustrated being a musician. I'd have rather be in a cabinet maker or something. You could you see it on the wall. Or I used to always another way I'd describe it, say the the frustrating thing about music is you can't prove you're good. It's all a matter of opinion. Like Linford Christie runs the hundred meters or Carol Hood Lewis, whatever, runs the hundred meters faster. Usain Bolt faster than anybody. You might say, I don't like that big guy, but it doesn't matter. He he was first. It can't be argued about. You can be the best songwriter or musician, but you can't prove it. There'll always somebody going, I don't think he's any good. That found, I found too frustrating. Maybe I'm a bit like Ian Anderson. I want to be able to control it. <laughs> I want to be able to say it. People yeah. tend to think if you're top of the pops, you must be the best. No, it's not about not about that. It's open to interpretation and everybody brings something different to the party. I, I suppose when you have something that's absolute, somebody running from point A to point B and they do it within a specific time and that time is the fastest, it's you can't dispute this unless you start the nadi the word, you know, dispute yeah <clears throat> but in terms of an end product were a studio to become free say somewhere in in acton with a lovely live room and a certain number of hours for the sake of putting something out to commemorate recent interest the missing part for me is 123 the missing part is 123 I mean, I would. Have, I wish we'd have made an album, but 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 Brian Epstein dying, Robert Stigwood, that kind of missed that moment. Had Brian Epstein not passed away and that drug overdose not been a reality, how do you think your fortunes would have been different? Changed? I don't know, really. Again, it's one of these hindsight things. What if? What could have been? He he didn't have much time. Might have been a bit like Terry Ellis, no time. So it might not have happened, but I think he understood more than Robert Stigwood did what was possible. He could see something of the future. I mean, why would he sign us otherwise, you know? He was an astute man and also in that particular era would have kind of witnessed Hendrix arriving onto the scene, which despite history being very kind to his appearance... I'd imagine he would have caused a, a great deal of division amongst people seeing him. You know, this is kind of, and in a, in a way, I think the parallels with what one, two, three were doing at that particular time. Well, the thing that sticks in my mind, as I say, was that thing about Putin. I was that thing he said about sophisticated. We didn't think like that, but he 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 could see. He thought the music was more sophisticated than what was norm for the time, and that's why he put us in sophisticated suits as he saw it. So. Maybe that vision would have gone forward. Maybe Prague would have started a couple of bit earlier if we hadn't been knocked off our wagon. And maybe you would never have worn that no. kind of yellowish jumper. <laughs> the orange jumper. The first thing my ex-wife said when she saw that video, she said, I always hated that orange jumper. <laughs> and so do I now. I thought, what was I doing wearing that? You know? No, David, If one of the things David said, uh, people tend to focus on the positive things he said, but... They said to him in the interview on Mojo, what did, did you think? They said they had no idea of image. 
he was very much an image guy. He says, oh, they thought if they just played music, it would be fine. They'd need an image. Say, but that's not true, is it? I think of like Carl Palmer, you would be wearing a, like an American University T-shirt. Oh, I thought it was, in hindsight, I mean, Keith did a great job that way, for instance. Mm. And they presented it. The president, see, I frowned and all that. But actually, they were right. This is a show. We didn't put on a show. We just played. We thought it was all about being a good... No, it is a show. We were completely wrong about that. So Ian Anderson, you know, great example of that. He His head was screwed on. We you, were away with the fairies, as my mother would say. You were away with the fairies, whereas other bands who followed your model then incorporated fairies into the imagery. Well, I have, to be, I have to be fair. I don't like to be because, done it. I mean, only John Anderson has spoke out recently. He's the only one that said anything. And he said that, admitted that they copied America from us. Mm. He's acknowledged that. He, said, he always said we were his favourite band. And he said that quite recently as well. It's really interesting. It's taken... 40 years to say it. Yeah, yeah only only 40 years. He used to say it on thought. stage, but it's not the same as saying it in the press, is it? No. But, um, but we never got much credit. But then I have to say, and as I said it somewhere in an interview somewhere, that you, it could be argued, if you must, that um, they took something that was sophisticated and clever but not commercial which was us, and made it sophisticated, clever, and commercial. Yeah, you, you certainly can't dispute that. I mean, yes, In a way. Yeah. In, I think it was that. about timing too, though. We were just too early. The audiences, the same people that were cheering these bands and, and buying the records were the same people that were booing us uh, two years earlier. Your day begins with a discord sound I have 
just weren't ready for us. We were just too early. The one thing about that particular era is the difference between 66, 67 and the, the close of that decade and the start of the new one. It's, it's not like now where, you know, two years can pass in music and everything pretty much sounds the same. And that's not being cynical. That's just a reality. Mm. Whereas just fashions and ideologies and chemicals being used were incredible leaps were happening in, in a very, very short space. And I think there's a price that has to be paid for being innovative and to be innovators. And that's where you scare people the, off. You open the doors for other people to... The, uh, the One of the phrases I have for it, the explorers are always eaten by the lions. You know, they're, they, you, t- you tread those paths and you don't get any good out of it, but, but you're opening... The, a path through the foliage for everyone else.
we're not the only ones, are we? I mean, this happened to loads of people. That's 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 why this Trailblazers program hopefully focuses on things like that. You know, the people that had that trod those paths didn't get the rewards for it, but um, brought on what followed. Patience is a virtue as well. The fact that the show exists and that you're healthy and here and able to... I'm very surprised by it, really. I mean, the fact that um, when I got the call about the uh, show, I was quite surprised. Even even with everything that's happened, I I still thought, oh, we've made it to mainstream now. I've been on radio and things before, but to get to a mainstream TV programme is a first, so who knows? Sky Arts. And you're in... Two of the uh, uh, installments in the series. Yes, the the second episode, which is um, uh, glam rock. I, on my way down to you today, I had a, I had an email from uh, from uh, the Sky just telling me that I'm on these two shows. That's very considerate <laughs> of them. They must have known. They must have. Thought, oh, we must get this on the UK radio show. <laughs> they must have had that thought, you know. And uh, yeah, so that was the way down here. All right. And uh, they said yes, the, that one and the twenty fourth of June is the main one. Um, on prog. On the prog prog rock, yes. Episode nine, apparently. But they said they'll tell me if that changes. But you know, if they change the timing of it. But uh, I think it's at first I thought like you, you know, two hours of filming they'll put about thirty seconds of me or something. But I'm not so sure now because they've delved into so much of it. Unless they do that by. As a matter of course, you just don't know. Do you know whether or not they were receptive to the fact that you invented prog? Did this get mentioned? It seems in to the be to do with that. It seems to be to do with that. It was very much about one, two, three, not so much clouds. And they said they paid an awful lot of money to get those videos from uh, German, the German people, who are now on Beat Club. They said it cost them a lot of money. Right. They That's... said, but it was worth it, and it was very awkward. And they're they're going to use that, and they're going to use some of those sing 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 and uh, uh, some of the other records. They're going to, so they're playing quite a bit of us. They're playing Big Nose Monica, and they're playing uh, Imagine Me. Even though you don't know me well, well. 
a lot of photos I sent them, as well as the photos of the satellites and the premiers. So it sounds like they're doing a little history run-through, albeit I don't know how fast they're... <laughs> you do that better than me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it sounds to me, I mean, I don't like to be optimistic, not my nature, as you might have noticed, but um, it sounds to me like they're going to, you know, we would be the trailblazers, I would say. But I don't know. I, they could make you look like a fool or I can do what they want. Having seen the first instalment of that show, which was about disco, it seems to be kind of celebrating the unsung heroes with a bit of a UK slant on things. Yes, you never Ooh. know. You're in their hands. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm in yeah. your hands today. Indeed, you could you can edit this, however. <laughs> The difference is, I know where you live. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared now. As a musician yourself, you you would always treat things with respect. Also, it helps that you've heard the other shows. It's about the love. And for me, it's really weird. The one thing about podcasts, and it's a reaction to the ADD culture that we have, where ultimately so much television, so much media is just done in soundbite form yes twitter everything's speeded up yeah even football you see somebody like me can't follow the action it's like it's ridiculous and the way that the things are edited you know are designed for the add generation Mm. and even when people are hanging out with friends or meeting people they're anchored to their phones and it's interesting that as a complete juxtaposition to that the very old school format of chat of podcasts of of people chatting investigation really i'm very pleased that people surrender two hours of their time to listen to people chatting and well, it's, um, a, it's, re- it's a beautiful thing well it's reverting to quality isn't it yeah i, hate, I dare to say so at, every- risk, at the risk of sounding psychophantic but it is 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 really it's about getting by i mean the whole thing about the one two three and all that what i think of it divorcing myself as much as possible I still think it's about truth it's about everything that comes out is true all the stuff that came out about one two three it's true but it's just never been aired before it just it's kind of stuck in the background but the truth will out even though it takes 40 years (laughs) (laughs) the truth will out even if it takes four decades but who's counting well I think when you get to my age, you start to count, you know. But I don't know. It's it's. I don't know what to make of it, really. But I'll just go with the flow. And I mean, when it first all came out, I wasn't ready for it. But now, now it's kind of bubbling about. I just think, well, whatever. Let's see. It's all a bit late in the day. It doesn't give us our lives back, but it does at least say, well, you did something. You know, it's a bit like that. So when I get this studio in west london free <laughs> when are you guys going to so who's going to play the bass <laughs> <laughs> but surely you're all everyone's alive and well you know uh, yeah it's just purpose i suppose Get, getting everybody i don't know i mean we wouldn't know the one two three songs anymore you need to have about six months rehearsal i mean that was the, i don't know the, the the thing about rehearsal when we did a song it would take us months to do a song sometimes it was so complicated so you would yeah. have a, a set structure 
and room to improvise, but you still were bound by things that you carefully worked out. Oh, everything. Well, if you listen to America, that, that's 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 not such a good example, perhaps, because there wasn't a lot of improvisation in it. It was like the song always dictated how how it worked, because the the thing I the thing I absolutely adhered to was we must keep the spirit of the song. I don't think like Sam Paul Simon's America, his version can't be bettered. I think that's great. But I wouldn't want to do it that way. And I like to think that if he heard Yes's version, which was basically a concept copied from us, mm. if he heard Yes's version, Paul Simon, and heard ours, I like to think he'd prefer ours by a long way because it kept the spirit of the song. The other one was about, you know, using it as an excuse, like so much of Prog was, use it as an excuse to play as much as possible. Whereas the song, oh, don't worry about the song. If the singer had gone for a piss halfway through, it wouldn't matter. Nobody would notice. <laughs> I think, yeah, probably. I think Mr. Anderson probably would have. Would have yeah, agreed. well, I think that was probably one of his issues because yeah. it was the musicianship was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to say that about ELP. It was that the musicianship was great execution, but I choose those words carefully. You know, it's 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 great playing, but it's as much bravado as. And, and the, the tragedy for them, in my opinion, was they had a great songwriter in the band. Greg Lake was a very good songwriter. True, but they absolutely. never used it properly. They never used it properly. Ego battles and... Uh, yes, but but that the, as I say, the closest thing I ever heard to 123 was 21st Century Scripts of Mine. Why? Because Greg Lake's song married to the um, musical playing. Mm. And that was pretty much what they took from 123. I mean, you could hear echoes of one, two, three in all those bands. Absolutely. You listen to America, the way I play America in 1967, that was. Hmm. Then listen to The Nice and things like that. Listen to the way it's played. It's, I have, and I completely understand and agree. I was quite Concept. shocked. Mm. Concept. It's, mm. not, it's not like for like. I mean, him and I were completely different. You couldn't compare us. Um, it's not like for like, but it is concept. Mm. Concept that's been taken. All those bands tried to sound like us, but didn't end up sounding like us. I mean, they had, to be fair as well, they had more scope than us. I mean, yes, a guitar, a great guitarist. Mm. They had more counterplay, you know, counterpoint. They had different instruments that would give more colour. We only had organ, bass and drums. And I failed in that respect because... As time moved on and I was get so mowed down by all the business stuff, I didn't move with the times. I stayed with organ and piano when everybody else, Keith was becoming a pioneer in synths and Rick was bringing in all the sounds. I never did any of that. I failed in that respect and I failed to see that change. I was so you know bogged down by everything. So I'd become a kind of anachronism myself. So I, I have to bow to that and say that, that much is true, you know. I kind of lost my own way that way. Right. I was so bogged down. I was like suddenly in the spot, you know, couldn't shift. So, so that was there. Yeah, one, two, three was the real innovation. Clouds was a great band. The one thousand songs, which, <laughs> which have, are still gathering dust. When are you going to remove the dust? When are you going to dig out the dust buster? Bay? I don't think it'll ever happen, really. I mean, I took when the CD came out. I took the chance of we had some demos. That we're doing that Terry wouldn't use for the watercolor days one. He went, Oh no, it's going too far. But you can hear some of the stuff there. I mean, Clockwork Soldier, I think, is my best piece of work there. 
but it's on their demo. My clockwork soldier lies far from the playroom. Rust is beyond belief in his metal death. Locked forever At the moment Of final Capitulation He sees nothing Did he ever see He feels nothing Nothing He is different of a child's mind. A ghost from a room so long forgotten. Out in the archives of all those years. Or somewhere in the bodiless corridors of nowhere. As he wandered, crying endless tears, and this is not like sleep, not like that drifting, insensible, unconscious, traveling. No longer guarded, the whirring heart, which has beat its pendulum through the long spinning minutes of hours and days and weeks, feathers to a halt, and silence rules the inner man.
That was kind of the area I was getting into. Right. But those songs are there, they're gathering dust. Just as we sit here, did you hear that? There's some dust hitting those tunes. (laughs) Well, if there was ever, as I say, if there was ever a call for them or if somebody was interested, then, yeah. I'd always had a notion to, I wish we could have done that missing LP of one, two, three. It would all be other people's songs, but it would be the missing link between between the Beatles and um, Yes and all that. Mm. That would be the missing link. Scrapbook shows flashes of that. It sounds like the missing link, but if you listen to the whole of the Cloud Scrapbook, a lot of it sounds like Waiter particularly sounds like the missing link between 60s pop. And some people have said that, actually. You know, reviewers have said this is the link between Beatles, 60s pop, and the improvisational stuff that followed. I think it is in some ways. That was the link. It was an unconscious one. We didn't consciously do that. It was just... I was seeing round the corner a bit. I tend to live like that, you know. I'm always living tomorrow, not today. The animals known as the music industry, maybe they did devalue somewhat. Well, we were kind of pure pure musicians in the sense that we were kind of snooty about it. We 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 didn't care that people didn't like it. We thought we should play it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was kind of naive in a way. <laughs> Billy... Thank you very much for popping into the Dookie Radio Show studio and having a chat with us. It's been an honour. Likewise, I can say the same. Absolutely honoured. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, that's your lot. Even after three instalments, I feel that we only just touched the surface on Billy Ritchie's amazing musical story. Hopefully, after more than three hours of our banter, you can see and feel how Billy and myself got on. If that chemistry hadn't been there, I don't think I would have mentioned that Mr Ritchie is the nicest, miserable person I've ever met. Which was, thankfully, taken in the spirit with which it was given. We've had a wee dram or three away from the studio since we recorded the show, and I'm looking forward to sharing a pint and the odd chaser with the man again very soon. I've got to say one thing about Billy. For a man who claims to avoid listening to music, Richie is very clued up and irreverently opinionated on every band under the sun. He's a true one-off and the world is a much better place for having him in it. You've been listening to our interview with Billy Ritchie, part three of our three-parter. My name is Dukey and I've been your host. Until next time, may the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and uh, pop my weasel. Thanks for listening, mate. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. I ain't being tasteless enough, I think. But an and a walk into a brothel and then says to the Have you ever seen such Should he use the spiral bound notebook? To our Facebook page Facebook 
easy to find It will not take an age Facebook www.facebook.com Forward slash The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The thin white Dukey is right Click your way to the Dukey Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com forward slash the Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show (laughs) 